0: Well, we're finishing up the Advent sermon series, actually, this Sunday, the fourth Sunday in Advent. Um, Advent's the time we look back at Jesus' first coming and then look ahead to his return as well. And I've entitled this sermon series, Waiting for God. And what I've been doing is looking at, throughout the Bible, some of the time periods where the people of God had to wait upon God. To to just think about and learn what is it we uh, can learn about those times in our life when we're waiting on God. Sometimes we're waiting with expectation, sometimes we're waiting... with a lot of pain and suffering. Um, And so three weeks ago, we looked at the story of Abram, Sarai, waiting for the child of promise, specifically in the challenge it is to wait on God's timing instead of trying to make it happen in our own timing. Two weeks ago, we looked at the disciples waiting for the resurrection and looking at the times that life just seems hopeless, where to find hope. Last week, we looked at the disciples waiting for the Holy Spirit at Pentecost and what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And today's sermon is entitled, Waiting for Jesus' Return. If you remember last week, we looked at how uh, when Jesus, after he rose from the dead, ascended to heaven, and this is what happened in that scene, Acts 1, 9 through 11. After he said this, Jesus said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? this same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So notice this angel. These angels are telling them that, hey, you see Jesus ascending. He's going to return someday in the same way that he has ascended. And the testimony of the Bible is that Jesus will return one day. It'll be sudden. It'll be unexpected on a day that no one can guess. It'll be a personal, visible, bodily return. And he's going to put an end to sin and suffering and death and evil once and for all, that the dwelling of God will be with us forever on this renewed heaven and earth. A couple verses to that effect. Matthew 24, 44, Jesus said, you also must be ready because the son of man, which is one of his favorite names for himself, the son of man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. And Revelation 1, 7, look, he is coming with the clouds Mm -hmm. and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. Now, this topic of the second coming is one that's full of confusion. It's full of Controversy, controversy, it's often full of fear for people. Uh, it's, there's a lot of people who love to speculate on the end times and how Jesus will return and lay out charts of like the Antichrist and Armageddon and the rapture and things like that. And I am not going to be talking about any of that this morning. That is not at all the direction I'm going. I'm taking my cue from Titus 3 9, where Paul writes this avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless. My experience has been that a lot of debate about end-time stuff is in line with this verse. tends to lead to a lot of division and and pride and not too much love and devotion to God. It also leads to a lot of foolish predictions. Here's just some. Uh, The Jehovah's Witnesses are notorious for predicting the end of the world many, many times. And even though they're wrong, it doesn't stop them from predicting it again. Some of you may remember Harold Camping. That was like 10 years ago now. Remember that whole hubbub about predicting the end of the world on May twenty-first, 2011? Here we still are. The testimony of the Bible is that Jesus is going to return, and it's not going to be on a day that anyone could predict. And then again, he will put an end to suffering and evil. The dwelling of God will be with us. We will live with God forever on the renewed heavens and earth. The details of that are up to God. But I would argue that your belief matters in that. Your belief that Christ will return really makes a difference. Again, you think about how your, your view of the end affects the way you live today. You know, if you believe in heaven or if you believe that there is no heaven, you just die and you're food for worms, it makes a difference in how you live today. If you believe that Jesus will return or if you believe we're just going to keep living and living and living until one day the sun explodes or whatever, whatever it might be, your view of the end impacts how you live today. And so I want to talk about three Ways in particular that it's important for us to believe and to know that Jesus will return. The first is this, that suffering and death are not the end of the story. And all those who are suffering said, Amen. Suffering and death are not the end of the story. When you think about it, if you do not believe that Christ will return, if you do not believe that there is a God who will return and put a final end to suffering and evil and death, where do you find hope? You know, you can just kind of steal yourself for the hard truth that this life is all there is and one day you're going to be dead and gone and all the ones you love will be dead and gone and that's it. But we know that suffering and death are not the last chapter. It's not the final end of the story. I mean, suffering, if you don't believe that there is a God or there's anything beyond the grave or that Jesus will return, it just, all it does is rob you of the things that you love of life in life. And death, especially untimely death, is one of the worst things that anyone could ever go through, to have someone you love die, especially an untimely death. But Christ's return means that suffering and death do not have the last word, that he will return, he will make a final end to evil. Revelation 21, 1-5 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. It's a great verse, great saying there that he's going to wipe every tear from our eyes, right? It's not just that he's going to put an end to suffering and death and evil, but that it's this tender expression of the healing that God will bring, wiping every tear from our eyes, that suffering will not be the end of the story. Listen to how Paul put it. This is just a fantastic passage in Romans 8, 16 to 25, just encouraging us to lift our eyes above our current circumstances and our suffering to God, this is Romans eight sixteen to 25. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Just pause and read that one again. no matter how deep the suffering is, saying, your present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed, the glory that you will experience on that day when you are with the Lord. Teresa of Avila said, the worst earthly life from which seen, when seen from the perspective of heaven will seem like one night in a cheap motel. The worst earthly life when seen from the perspective of heaven will seem like one night in a cheap motel. Our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that we'll experience on that day. The creation, he continues to say this, the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. In other words, creation's waiting for that last day when Christ returns and the people of God are revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. He gives us description of the world groaning, waiting for that day when it will be freed from decay, when it will be made new, when God will dwell with us. And then he says, Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Anyone wake up groaning this morning? He says we groan inwardly waiting for that day when we will be made new, when Christ will be with us, when he'll return. We wait for that day patiently, hoping for him. On that day, suffering will be destroyed and death will be no more. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-four to 57. Paul writes, when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Why does it matter that one day Christ will return? First and foremost, it means that suffering and death do not get the final word. There's always hope our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that is to come. Second thing we need to know is this, that all you have longed for will be yours forever. What does it mean that Christ will return? It means that all the deepest longings of your heart will be yours forever. I cannot stand up here and promise that all of your desires will be fulfilled in this side of heaven. I can't promise you if you're single that you're going to meet the man or woman of your dreams. I cannot promise you if you're married that your marriage is going to turn out well. I cannot promise you that your children are going to grow up and be the shining examples of faith that you want them to be or that they're going to have the health that you hope for them. I can't promise you that your health is always going to be there. That you're going to have a job. That you're going to have finances. Any of that. All of these longings that we have I cannot promise you. I can't promise you that you're going to overcome all the struggles in your life or that the ones you love will overcome the struggles in their life. But I do know that Christ will return. And when he returns, suffering and death will be destroyed. And he will fulfill the longings of our heart. We will find that our desires are fulfilled in him. All the things that we have frantically looked around this world, hoping that something will fill that need. He will meet that need. In Revelation 11:15, the seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. On that day, he will be with us. And as Paul put it in Philippians 1, 4 through 6, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. The day of Christ Jesus is the day he returns, the day we stand in front of him. And on that day, he says, he will finish the good work he's begun. He will meet the longings and desires of our heart. I mean, just think of some of the things that you long for and you desire here on earth. How about the desire for intimacy? The desire that you would have someone who knows you and loves you. And how hard that is to find that person who truly knows you, At your worst and loves you unconditionally. Jesus, when he was talking to the Sadducees in Matthew 22, he told them, You know, in heaven there's no marriage. People aren't given in marriage in heaven. Marriage fades away because marriage is a sign pointing to that intimacy, that ecstasy, that love that we long for. And when we have the real thing with God, we no longer need the sign, we no longer need the shadow, we no longer need marriage. This every imperfect relationship here on earth is just a sign pointing to the thing our heart is longing for that will one day be ours forever, a relationship with God. The fulfillment we, looking, we are looking for in this world, that we would live lives, feel fulfilled in our calling, in our jobs, and the things we devote our time to that way it would just fulfill us. And they so often fall short. On that day, he says, that we will reign with him forever in Revelation 22, 5. We will, whatever that means, we're going to be reigning alongside God over all creation, that we will be fulfilled. We will have whatever that job and calling it was forever. How about the self-actualization we hope for, that one day we will overcome our sins and our struggles, that we'll get by that. We'll finally be made perfect. And we fall short again and again and again here on earth. But that day, he will bring it to completion, the good work he's begun. No more sin, no more struggle. How about the order? You know that, that time when you're, when you're in your home and you look around and everything's in its right place and everything is done? I don't know that either, that feeling. That longing we have that just everything would be in its right place and stay that way and no one would mess it up and that everything would be checked off at of the to-do list and we could just rest so on that day, there will be finally everything put to right, everything in order, everything right. The wealth that we long for, the money, the fortune, all these things to give us that satisfaction, that joy, that peace, that comfort, whatever it might be, on that day, says, you are heirs of God. Of everything that is His, it will be yours forever. All the longings that cannot be fulfilled on earth will be yours forever. The glory, the desire for worship that people would... Put you on a pedestal, would worship and honor you on that day, says God will share his glory with us. Whatever again that means, it means that longing we have to be idolized or honored or respected or whatever it might be here on earth, we will have that forever on that day. How about the community that we long for? All of you who've looked around trying to find the perfect church or the perfect community of people and have not ever found it, on that day, we will have that forever. The peace, the love, even the novelty, you know? When you buy that phone and it's new for like a a week and then there's a newer phone that comes out or a newer device or whatever. So on that day, we're going to have God forever and every day will be new. There's never going to be an end to the things, the joys, the, the amazement of what it means to know him and to get to know him better. Again, Everything that your heart has longed for here on earth that that has just fallen short, that you just cannot ever seem to find or grasp or hang on to, will be yours forever. When you truly believe that, I mean, that is one of the most important things you could ever believe. Do you understand that? How does that change your perspective? If that's your perspective, if you recognize that all the longings and desires of my heart will be fulfilled and they will be mine forever, that means that if my marriage does not quite measure up to what I've longed for and desired, that does not mean I need to trade the spouse in and go find someone else. If this job has not fulfilled me, it doesn't mean I need to keep trading up and trying to find another job. Whatever those things that I have that just don't quite measure up in this life, it's not that the grass is greener somewhere else in this world, it's that the grass is greener in heaven. That is what my heart is longing for. Nothing in this world is going to satisfy that. And so I can live putting my hope, my trust in God, and just serve him faithfully wherever he has me here on earth. Jonathan Edwards put it this way, God is the highest good of the reasonable creature, and the enjoyment of him is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. To go to heaven fully to enjoy God is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations here. Fathers and mothers, husbands, wives, children, or the company of earthly friends are but shadows. But the enjoyment of God is the substance. These are but scattered beams, but God is the sun. These are but streams, but God is the fountain. These are but drops, but God is the ocean. Why does it matter that Christ will return someday? First of all, it means your suffering and death are not the end of the story. Secondly, it means that everything that you have longed for will be yours forever. And thirdly, it means that everything you do matters eternally. God, that makes a big difference, doesn't it? You know those times when you feel like, what am I doing with my life? Does anything I've done matter? Does it make any difference whatsoever? Because Christ is returning, because he will be blessed forever, we know that everything that we do matters eternally. first corinthians fifteen fifty eight, which i share often up here is this therefore my dear brothers stand firm that therefore you know therefore means there was something beforehand that he's referring to the therefore first corinthians 15 is all about the resurrection that jesus rose from the dead that we will also be raised from the dead and the importance of that is this therefore my dear brothers stand firm let nothing move you always give yourselves fully to the work of the lord because you know that your labor in the lord is not in vain it's because you will live forever Your labor is not in vain. Everything that you do matters eternally. There's a popular saying, right? Live like you are dying. But I don't quite believe that that's the way we're supposed to be living. Live like you're going to live forever. Live like you will live with God forever. Not that there's an expiration date here and then everything you did, you know, that that's it. But that everything you do is going to matter eternally. As, it's, as Jesus said in Luke 12, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, where your heart will be also. It's like, listen, if you're moving from one house to another, you know, invest in that house where you're going to be moving. Don't store up treasure on earth, he says. Store up treasure in heaven. That's where you're going to be forever. Don't live for everything in the treasures of this world. Put your hope in Jesus. So everything that we do in faith and hope and love, everything we do for God matters eternally. Loving your family, serving the poor, working your job with integrity, improving your community, creating beautiful art, everything that you do to honor him matters eternally. 2 Corinthians 5.10, Paul says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. We're only saved by the grace of God. We're only saved because Jesus died for us and we put our faith in him. But there is also a way, he says, that we will be judged on what we've done. And whatever that looks like, those rewards, whatever it looks like, I don't know. Never been there. But he is saying that we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. How did you use your life? Did you spend your, your time doing things that matter eternally or things that in the end won't matter? 1 Corinthians three ten through 15, Paul says, that By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Okay, he says that so there's only one foundation, and that's faith in Jesus Christ. That's, that's what saves you. But then he says, If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is because the day, that's the day Christ returns, that judgment day, will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire. The fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. You catch what he's saying there? He's saying on that judgment day, you know, those who put their faith in Jesus will be saved. But then how did you build upon that foundation with your life? Did you spend your life, as he says, using, building on it with silver, gold, costly stones, doing things for his kingdom that matter? He says, on that day when God's judgment fire falls on you, those things will survive. You will receive your reward. Again, whatever that means. It will matter eternally that you spent your life on things that matter for God. But he says, other people will be saved, but only as ones escaping through the flames. That's the picture of someone who trusted in Jesus and then spent the rest of their lives doing things that had nothing to do with God and weren't about loving him, loving neighbor, anything. Just were trying to build for themselves and live for themselves. He says, they will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. Everything that they've spent their life on will be burned up in the end. It's a challenge for you. One day Christ will return. One day you will stand before him. One day there will be a judgment. How are you spending your life? What are you building upon that foundation with? Everything that you do is going to matter eternally one way or another. So live for Christ with everything that you have. There's nothing that you can't give up this side of heaven that he won't replace with something more glorious, something better. You understand that? There's nothing that you can lay down and surrender to him that he won't replace with something better something more eternal, something more glorious. So live for him with everything that you have and everything that you are. He will return. Suffering and death do not get the final word. He will put a final end to them. All the longings and desires of your heart that you could never find fulfilled here on earth will be met in him forever. So put your hope and your trust in him. And then give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. Everything that you do matters eternally. Amen. Let's pray and then we're going to respond and worship. Lord, we pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We look forward to that day when you put a final end to suffering and death and evil and you renew this world and you dwell with us forever. Can't even come close to putting into words what that will be like. But I do know that everything that our hearts have desired and longed for will be met in you forever. And so help us, Lord, to stop looking to the things of this world and the people of this world to meet those desires, but instead to put all our hope and our trust in you. Lord, transform us by your spirit that we might have the proper perspective on this world and on eternity and give our lives for those things that matter eternally to live for your kingdom above everything else. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.